Hi, quick caveat. This episode was recorded in July 2022, before the ad had aired and before the closure of Made.com. While the company sadly no longer exists, both the ad and composition is fantastic and we love chatting through our guests' creative process. So now, with that context in mind, please enjoy episode three of Organised Sound. Hello and welcome to Organised Sound. I'm Joshua Gibbard, music supervisor and producer at Siren. And I'm Sean Rogers, creative director and head of supervision at Siren. In this series, we invite composers we've collaborated with to chat through their compositional approaches to the work and get their general thoughts around the industry. In this latest episode, we spoke to Joe Murphy and John T. Howard, known professionally as Lankin Tank, an extremely talented songwriting and production duo who are based in North London. With over 10 years of experience, the pair have created award-winning work for brands such as New Balance, McDonald's, TikTok and Burberry, just to name a few, as well as collaborating with commercial artists such as Jungle, Priya Ragu and Elfgood. We recently collaborated with the guys on the new campaign for Made.com and break down their process for creating an experimental score that is still accessible for advertising. We also get their thoughts on writing for commercial music versus writing to picture and how their approach to collaborating together has evolved over the years. As always, we'll start off the episode having a listen through to the full composition before diving into the conversation. I love this piece of music I think it's just so cool and like you guys nailed the brief in such an interesting way just kind of wanted to get your initial thoughts on when you saw the film and yeah how you approach it because you obviously made a few demos as well this wasn't the only demo you submitted Mm. um and they were all kind of quite different um so yeah just what were your initial thoughts I guess we felt like two of them were actually quite similar when we sent them across and there was actually one point in in making it where we thought two of them were too similar that we're like oh there's no point in doing both of them we'll just do one the most important thing that we took away from it was that sort of the tone of the piece needed to be sort of quirky quite intriguing wanted to be odd but without being sort of threatening or 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 too dark or and so was really trying to like get to the get to the core of what we wanted it to be. I we, think that the, the brief was quite clear in that it wanted to be quirky, unusual sort of use of uh, a classical instrument and it had to be quite intimate with all the really close shots of the the main character in, in the piece as well. What yeah. was quite nice as well is that it, it definitely felt like they wanted an experimental track, mm. like mm. something that did feel quite out of the box, which, you know, it's a brief that you don't always get in advertising as well. Mm. Really fun one. Yeah, and then I guess that means that's that's where with having two of us working on everything, I 
seems to have an incredible ability to read a brief and just completely misunderstand it. Um, <laughs> so I, One I'll to brag like, about. Yeah, I'll just be like, oh god, this is me- I can't believe they want like a Gabba tune. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, Joe's like, no, 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 definitely said string quartet. I'm like, what? Um, and so yeah, I think there's there's a lot of initial sort of back and forth between us getting mm. like our, our like perfect home point. I think um, yeah, we we make sure we spend quite a lot of time with just talking about what we think it should be and what our interpretation of of that brief is. That's so interesting. So do you guys, you sit down and discuss it first, you don't go away and like put down your own separate initial ideas, you kind of have... We def- definitely discuss it first it. and then we, we go and put down the We the used ideas. to sort of jump in and so we'd, be, we'd see something and be like, yeah, cool, bang, here, idea, go. Um, and then now, um, I think if as soon as you get two or three steps down any line... You kind of can't really ever come back, um, yeah, yeah. and you can you can always sort of like move where you were, but you can never really get that starting point back. So if if you can, I think if you find the like core of the idea and really where we want to initiate it, then from there we can have a much better understanding of like what we're doing or or like between us. Then at least we are on the same page from the same point, because um, yeah, obviously cool. there's in a lot of this it's trying to understand what people mean by the brief and what what the interpretation of and of when you had the two demos that were similar had you worked on them together or are they actually ideas that were similar but you'd worked on separately because we we'd spoken about it i guess we we came up with quite a succinct idea it turned out that we um when we went off and started the ideas separately that they ended up being quite similar great minds and we're, we're in the room next to each other as well so a bit of sound does transfer through so there must have been a little bit of like oh yeah, yeah listening with a glass through the wall what's he doing in there the two demos obviously there's this one that's the clarinet and mm-hmm. then the other demo was string uh, was it solo violin yeah it was like cello sampled and then you had a third demo that was kind of more of a ensemble rather than a solo which yeah did feel quite different to those two was there like an order that you wrote them in? Did you write the solo ones first and then come to that last? Yeah, exactly yeah. that. Yeah, I started off on the clarinet one. Johnny did the the stringy one, and then we came together for the the more yeah. full one. Ah, nice. And I wanted to ask, kind of how how the approach started with this, because obviously it's a lot of overdubbing of the clarinet. Did you kind of like sort of map it out beforehand, or is it more so improvisational? It actually started off with. Um, recording about a minute of clarinet just at one tempo. So just getting that motif down the dun, 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 dun. Yeah. A few rounds of that and then there's one which goes back up. And yeah, so re- recorded that for, I don't know, 32 bars or, or whatever. A bit slower because I'm a bit rusty on clarinet as well. <laughs> Not a thing very long. <laughs> uh, and then the main thing was just trying to map the tempo to sort of get the the feeling right across across the piece. Right, yeah. I think melodically we were like, okay, this is quirky and interesting. The little semitone moves sort of give a bit of weirdness, but a bit of intrigue. And then because it had to be have a, a thread throughout the whole piece, but be separate for each room mm. that it falls into, um, we kind of went, well, if we just use this melodic idea and this little motif, but then kind of stretch it and pull it and push it back like a rubber band and then really force all other types of production additions and everything to give it the movement how does that sit and then it gives it a bit more unease gives it a bit more tension but also means that it tonally feels right always so there's like a kind of consistent tone and then change and everything else is that a hard thing to achieve especially 
I mean, I guess if you have longer on a track, then it's easier to get all those sections and get the continuity within the piece as a whole. But obviously this is a relatively short advert. You had the four sections of the different rooms and then they wanted there to be a thread Mm -hmm. holding the piece together so it felt like one cohesive piece. There was definitely quite a lot of shouting at the computer and uh, <laughs> <laughs> struggling to make it work. There's um, definitely there's like the technical differences in which you can approach things that have massive time moves, um, and sort of we're very used to working on grids, uh, and then as soon as you're not, you're very <laughs> yeah. well aware that you're not working on a grid, you're sort of stretching things around, being like, oh, I just don't, why doesn't it fit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted to say, is that kind of like something you're used to doing, or is it? Something new that you did for this one? It's something we ha- we haven't done for a long time. I think maybe when we years ago we did a few more things which were like flexible in the in the tempo throughout the track. But I think it's it's something that increasingly we're doing more of. But mm. I, I, especially in a piece like this where it it's an instrument that's so far forward and exposed. Mm then it kind of needs those elements to and be able to... The moves are massive as well. Like The it, the tempo shifts are so big in this. It's proper like yeah. waves of tempo. So once we had the that one clarinet piece, like that sort of motif going the whole way through with the tempo changes, then it, we just sort of added extra elements onto, onto each bit. So there's a few like pitched up clarinets. There's one at like a third, a fifth and an octave, yeah. which are just using a plug-in to pitch it up. Is the lower bit in the kind of the fish room as mm-hmm. well? Is that that? That's just pitched down an octave, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's just that one take of clarinet the whole way through, and then just taking chunks of that and putting it into channels which have a pitch shifter on it. Works it, so well. Mm-hmm. And then so they're also like panned in different places, so it starts to sort of feel a bit more frantic in in some bits. Yeah, and with the the um, kind of the clacking of the. Um, keys as well was mm. that something did you mic it specially to do that or because I know um, the team kind of mentioned about using ASMR sounds for the, the softness and like the intimacy um, was that like an inspired choice from that as a prompt or I'm trying to think where the yeah, so we, for that was yeah I mean obviously as soon as you get offered that kind of asmr route you start mm. thinking in textures um, I know in the, in the other pitch that we had these sort of like like little vocal bits as the textures. But in this one, um, but we always find that briefs that we've just worked on before always seem to inspire the next brief. I don't know if that's just because it's close to it, but it seems like it literally actually inspires the next brief. So we we will... find that a lot, I think, mm. even from our side on yeah. like the searching and like finding tracks and, you know, licensing things. And then we'll be like, oh, we just had this on something else and then it will work on the next one, I don't know why, it just yeah kicks off an idea somehow. Yeah, yeah, and so we'd been we'd been working on a spot for Guinness, I mm. think, uh, and they ended up having a Colin Stetson track on it. Okay, um, and so it's sax, but he he, I think he, it's pretty much just him playing one sax, but it sounds like there's all the key like yeah. stuff like all like grunting as well, like and so just kind of a bit inspired by that. We're like, oh, hang on. I guess also originally from the beginning we were like actually when we started doing the clarinet piece and the cello piece we were like what's the what's the, if everything could be generated from a clarinet that was before it had any of the additional production that was that was it sort of we just been like right you can't use anything else so now give it texture give it movement give it things just from things that you can I mean you can't whack a clarinet that much but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did you yeah. try at there, all? Uh, there's, there's some hits in there yeah <laughs> oh nice it's actually <laughs> hand on the bottom yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and any Joe you were pleased about the clarinet track going forward because 
very your, least, yeah. I your mean, history with your parents. <laughs> <for being exceptional. laughs> it's um, definitely been. I think I sold my my clarinet when I was about sixteen years years old to buy a microphone. Right. Uh, didn't really play it for about another twelve years or something, and then uh, I think my girlfriend's dad was clearing out the loft and found her clarinet from when she did like grade three, when she was about seven. And I was like, oh, I'll have that. <laughs> Bring it to the studio. <laughs> so sort of been sat there gathering yeah. dust. Um, and then, yeah, I think it was from the Guinness brief and there was another brief afterwards where we're like, oh my God, this is the, the clarinet's time to shine. <laughs> it's really coming out in these yeah, references. Yeah. It's like, Perfect. well, Colin Stetson, he's on a sax, but we don't have a sax. So yeah. it's, it's the closest thing it's we've got for it. <laughs> Stetson is doing the round. Yeah. With, uh, we've had him yeah. as a reference on a couple of things recently. In this one, especially where where the brief was, it wants to be quirky and unusual. Mm. I think a clarinet is just inherently quite a quirky, unusual sounding thing. I can't really think of any other ads where it's like clarinet centre forward yeah, is the, no, the main <laughs> instrument. Really pushing the agenda. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to get back into the clarinet now? Like, do you think that? You, no, I no, don't no, think that's <laughs> it. <laughs> try and push it even but further. But it was fun, fun to sort of uh, yeah dust off the cobwebs and yeah. there's a few little bits where. Um, there's some like really fast sort of arpeggio-y, scaly bits, which are like layered in really subtly in this as well. I think in the first room, but yeah, it's quite fun to just sort of. Were you playing those live? Yeah, yeah, oh, wow, just nice. doing a yeah, stuff like that. And with um, the yeah, with the actual sounds of the keys as well. Mm. Did you was that whilst you were playing the actual? That was as was like, as like an overdub. Just yeah, I think yeah. there's like four or five layers of just hitting yeah. the keys as fast as you can. I don't know. For me, it kind of almost makes the piece hearing that and like just kind of hearing it mm. so close in those um sort of like explosive moments and with the kind of the the structuring of it because yeah as sean said we kind of had these four different rooms um the corridor and then the three rooms that he goes into was there any kind of like particular i know you're kind of using the same instrumentation throughout but um was there any like challenges or anything that you faced with trying to make them unique whilst keeping this kind of very minimal instrumentation throughout yeah i think yeah we tried we tried a bunch of stuff um we had tried adding instrumentation and just it just seemed to really detract from the piece um and so i guess each room had its sort of unique elements so in the first room there's sort of a lot of flying little sort of soft elements feeling feel, feels quite sort of tinkly and light and a bit magical um the second room sort of was a bit more tense sort of definitely that sort of big crescendo through it um and so we're trying to map bits and pieces for it i think actually in the end the first room ends up being some of the percussive elements from the third pitch that we did the second room ends up adding the cello bend from the cello piece and the final room was sort of a mix of a bunch of things um, yeah, so all of, all of the additional elements. I'm not sure we'd have came, we'd have come up with the the sort of big sort of bendy cello thing mm. on this piece. It was sort right. of because we had it, yeah. And then we were like, oh, playing with elements across the other spots that we'd done. There were like little tinkly, shiny bits of percussion that we sort of recorded in reverse. That we were like, oh, that could work really nicely for this bit. And so it was the amalgamation of the three things that actually came together for the to the final. That's really cool that you thing. yeah kind of managed to put them all together. Um, if they're not going to pick one of the yeah. others, we'll put all the bits in. Just pick the highlights of each one, yeah. put it together. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I also wanted to ask about that because obviously you never have a huge amount of time for advertising to get your demos, like your initial demos down, and to do three of them within the time you had. Like, are you kind of quite structured in how long you're spending on each thing? 
No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just manically working. Yeah. Um, I think we came we came from years and years of songwriting, so mm. very used to being put in a room at a writing camp and you've got four hours, five people, off you go, I want something that sounds like a record. Um, and so you've got 20 seconds to mix it. <laughs> at the end. <laughs> you've got an hour of where everyone's telling you their, their life story at the beginning and then you've got two hours just to get it done. And so then it kind of came from that approach that I guess we've just sort of, I, I think, may, yeah, working quickly as one, having the technical stuff out of the way. So we've spent a few years recording, so we've sort of fine-tuned our process so that there's there's not really much getting in the way. There's not much stuff we have to do. We kind of set up the studio so that the technology is as transparent as possible. Where like, hopefully, you don't have to sort of be aware that there is anything there between you and actually creating yeah. what it is. So there's always mics set up. We've got a piano that's mic'd up and synths that are plugged in. And right, so it's very quick, very mm. like immediate mm-hmm. when you need to do something. Yeah. And so, I think with two of us, it's much easier because <clears throat> if one of you starts slowing down or hasn't got something, the other one just jumps in and takes takes the reins and you can sort of just rotate round. Right, and yeah. even when we're working on things, I have the attention span of... of <laughs> very 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 dumb goldfish for maybe about <laughs> four minutes I reckon I can spend in a room before if you I haven't walk, got the idea I'll be like then. No, that's it yeah 20 minutes if I haven't got the whole thing in, it's I'm not like, this perfect, is rubbish yeah. I'll, I'll come back <laughs> so I'll walk in and I'll listen to what Joe's doing and then be like oh right. why don't you do this I think when he had the do 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 I was like oh, imagine if I had a delay and was like and he's like cool yeah come back in and then and then yeah just figured it all out and then I guess that must be quite a nice way of working especially as you're a duo that you do have someone to bounce ideas off and if you're like as you say if you get to yours and you're like oh, I'm stuck at a point of mine you can go and be like chat through another idea and then come back to it and it like takes your mind completely away whereas if you're just one person your own just like focused on one idea you get so like you say you get down that rabbit hole a bit and then it's hard to come back from an idea and hard mm. to like find another path and that's why I think it's really nice um, working on separate things for a bit where you actually have a completely fresh perspective on what the other person has been doing. Yes, um, and to have that objectivity where you haven't you haven't been through the process of making it, you have such a different opinion on something if you've made it or if you've seen it come together. So you've you've heard all the elements in isolation compared to just hearing it out the speakers. So yeah. I think that that really helps. And yeah, just if one of us is on on holiday or we have to work by ourselves, I think it's. It's very apparent that we're used to working as a duo as well. <laughs> Having someone there to bounce ideas off all the time is, yeah, priceless. I think it's it's really tough by yourself. Did you always have that attitude, or is that yeah. kind of from working together? Like, and obviously, you don't want to <laughs> cause a rift or anything. Yeah. But was there ever a point where it was like, do you think your attitude in collaborating with each other has changed or become easier the more you've worked together, or have you noticed a change at all? I think we've never really argued too much about the the creation of things. There's always been, if one of us thinks the other thing needs changing, then the other one's sort of like, okay, cool, let's figure it out. Even if it takes you a little bit of time to get there, you know that you have to figure out what it is that the other person's saying they don't like about it. Um, I think in recent years, we've we've changed a little bit and we're kind of giving each other a slightly more autonomy to go and create independent ideas, especially at the beginning. Um and then bring them back and then work them up. And I think, as I was saying, that initial part of an idea, I think, is so important that sometimes even with two people, 
um, the other person influencing the, that initial creation means that you wouldn't sit and play with something that you might not just spend a little time tweaking a synth because actually it's, it's not massively fruitful for mm. the whole thing but you might come across something or you might you might create something that you wouldn't have otherwise done if you're collaborating because instantly someone would be like oh this is what I think this is what I think and then you'd be changing it straight away right, yeah. so it allows the idea to form I guess with one person's opinion with like one really I like to think of it as like a really sharp idea yeah much more focused yeah, it's really focused with. at the beginning and then so it's set off really I think the, the first moments of making something are so important as well when uh, it's kind of you have all the all the ideas everything's open and you're like oh it should be like this 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 and if you're both trying to feed your ideas into one thing it can be not as fruitful you may as well make two different things and yeah um, with that do you then kind of come back and is there any, ever a time where you're like do you, do you then kind of decide what's the strongest idea and focusing on that is that kind of the general process i think yeah sometimes it, i mean sometimes <laughs> it's quite apparent that like this one is better. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much better. There's no point in sending the other one. There's um, been one or two times. I mean, I'd be amazed. Like we, we very often just rarely will we not hand an idea in. But I think we'll get to. It gets to a point where we'd have just changed it if we didn't like it. Yeah. So yeah. we wouldn't let it get to a point where we will think it's subpar. But and then and actually normally, like say, if if one of the initial ideas isn't good enough and one of them's much better than we'll just we wouldn't even work on it we just leave it mm -hmm. straight away and so i know you just mentioned kind of songwriting and things but prior to that kind of what's your background or training like how did you get into this area tell me about your childhood <laughs> when i was four <laughs> uh yeah when i was four i was given a very very small cello um, oh, I didn't think about yeah, being a they're tiny really cello small, well. yeah. quarter size. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that it's a violin with a spike? Yeah. I don't really know. Maybe a violin with a spike. Yeah, I don't. They must still be tuned like a cello. Four is very little. It's very mm -hmm. small, isn't it? So then I did that for a bit. Um, classically trained, did a bit of piano, singing, um, and then we ended up getting into production. We met at um, uni, Lipper, uh, yeah. Lipper, and then studying, yeah, yeah, studying, studying production. production. That was my route in. Yours was quite similar, but a bit more bandy. Yeah. I started off on clarinet and did the classical thing as well. And then um, went into drums and guitar and bass. Fell in love with drums. I loved playing drums. <laughs> I used to play every day, like, till my hands bled. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I was playing in lots of bands. And then um, started recording bands as well. I think one of the first bands I was in went to a studio and... Uh, I was like, I could do a better job than this. It's really annoying that we're so limited in time. So I bought some terrible mics off eBay and started doing that and sort of built it up and started recording all the bands at school and yeah, ended up at Lipper studying production. Amazing. And then it was a very similar idea where we worked in a bunch of big studios, which cost £1,000 a day. And you're trying to record five tracks because no one's got the enough budget to do it. Mm. And we were like, no, the time constraints are so ridiculous. So then we rented a big country house out in Hertfordshire for seven years and put a studio in it. And then so we used to have bands come and like live with us um, and come record. Um, and so then, much more residential yeah. and then like, yeah. Yeah. And we then, sort of drew a circle around London. <clears throat> we're like, we don't really care if it's north, south, east or the west. We just want to be vaguely near to London yeah uh, but somewhere we can afford <laughs> yeah <laughs> near to London but more affordable <laughs> honestly yeah. it was crazy like it was so cheap and massive huge yeah. huge I place I don't really know what what like, was going on yeah. there, to be honest yeah I there's something funny going on yeah. like nine double beds 
massive garden. Wow. Two we ended up with like yeah, and yeah. I think it's cheaper than the the rent we pay for our little London box studio now. <laughs> Don't think about that. No. <laughs> with that though, was it like a what? What was the look of the studio? Was it very much kind of like a? I guess you can, if you were renting it, you didn't like renovate it to be like. We built some panels which are kind of similar to what's in this room, where it's like wooden structures and we put fabric on it and make, try to make it look. Right, they're yeah. kind of like bookshelves with fabric and acoustic treatment on the front of them. Um, and then it just it... happened to be a, a big, like, um, wooden floored, massive sort of parquet like main room with a big stone fireplace, which I was mm. like, brilliant stone wooden floors filled in the windows and then it was such a wonky old house that everything was so sort of uneven that actually it sounded wicked um because just there was no no parallel walls no not everything yeah. was just <laughs> odd and quirky so it was super diffuse sounding so we did drill a massive hole through the wall we to did, put we didn't. cables through <laughs> we did not do that <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Charlie. So if you're it listening. was built in 1640, and I do apologise. <laughs> we filled it in well. Though. Oh, confession time! <laughs> but yeah, so from that we we started that to record bands, um, which we did for a bit, and then we kind of ended up falling into songwriting. Um, yeah, I guess like some of the singers that we were working with then started coming in and going, "Oh, hey, can we just can you give me a track?" And actually, when we started, we were like, yeah, cool. Here's the backing track. Not knowing that we were writing, bumped into a publisher that was like, yeah, you're on radio. Why aren't you getting paid? And we were like, what? We're like, no, we, <laughs> what? we just did the music. We, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then, yeah, then quickly realized that maybe that's where we wanted to go. And then, yeah, rolled into um, into songwriting. And yeah, that was our first publishing deal. That was Harry Davies over at Bucks. Mm. Um and then, yeah, for six, six, seven years, we were like fully immersed in um, songwriting six, seven days a week. And being an artist. Yeah, yeah. Well. We started an artist project um, making like Poppy Dancy House yeah. called One Bit. That was fun for a bit. <laughs> Signed two major deals and then realised that maybe that wasn't for us. <laughs> when you, you think touring's brilliant and then you get on four planes and you're like, nah, that's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second, I've been sold yeah. a dream. You realise you really like windowless dark rooms and you're like, no, let's go back to the studio. Glamour. I wanted to ask you as well, um, when you started writing for writing to picture, um, was it quite like a steep learning curve or like did it change your approach uh, much in terms of um, the recording and the, the writing to the picture? It's something that we've actually done for quite a long time. Yeah, sort of drip fed in. Mm. We didn't think we were doing too much of it, but then actually we went back and I was like, oh, actually at uni we did get a few ads um, that we sort of did bespoke. And then we were like, oh, hang on, they've always have been there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually been about But it definitely, it's definitely years, morphed it? massively, like I was saying, where we're having a lot of conversations now about what we're making. We used to just jump in and make something and, and sort of slap it on and be like, yeah, here we are. I've made something to image. I had a day, so there you go. But now it's... I don't, there's, it feels like the decision making at the beginning means that the idea is 25% down the road um, the discussions then we're having with, with you guys um, really help it along the way we maybe weren't we weren't talking about stuff as much as we are now mm. and we're really sort of analysing it as we're going through and then there's it feels like we've with the all of the things that we have done is it's given us this sort of buffer that means you can take an idea and then kind of push it through an extra 20% which we just never 
used to have before. I feel like towards the end of a day, we could kind of look at each other and it's like, no, okay, well, you can't, you can't leave it there. Come on, like, <laughs> let's, let's like gear up again. And, and there's, it feels like there's another gear, which we can sort of, there's a lot more tools that you have. And mm. um, I guess it's just a lot of learning that means we can just keep tweaking and pushing and poking until it gets to where we're happy. Yeah. Do you think that working with kind of supervisors and producers has, so that must have then influenced kind of, as you say, the way you're talking about it with each other? Do you think that process has helped you kind of develop your techniques, I guess? Yeah, I think, yeah, no, I, de I definitely think it has. I think the, I think it became really important understanding the translation between um, client and, and music is that is quite a big rift. And in some cases, you're talking to someone that doesn't have necessarily a musical understanding on one end yeah. and then us on the other. So as I was saying, if if we're interpreting different things between the brief and us, then that's it's, it's a long way. Um, and I guess, yeah, there are um, the, yeah, the watching really, really good supervision happen and be put together um, makes the processing incredibly simple and easy. It translates that, it makes it, sort of much clearer to to piece together. I don't know, yeah, it's not but the I, most I guess like concise in, way of saying In it. commercial songwriting, you're, you're either working for the artist who's probably like in the room and uh, you, you can have such an easy conversation or, you know, there's a label and, and everyone's very fluent in, in music. Whilst I think the, the supervisors often are speaking to an agency or like an end client where they kind of know what they want, but they don't really know how to explain that or describe it um so i guess we often see it as like a a translator between what the client think they want into a brief that we can then read and interpret our way i guess it's yeah seeing seeing when that when that translation sometimes can fall down how mm -hmm. difficult it can become someone can say something to you yeah, and i'm like yeah. oh so what do you mean by that you it needs to be darker here and actually that's a word that's been used to you but actually you're four people away from the person that said it mm. and then actually that's a really complicated thing to explain um, and then also adding in our perception so I think the process has definitely between ourselves meant that we are now more aware that when the other person says something that my perception of it might not exactly be what it is. I actually wanted to ask you about that on this one as well on Made because they had uh, quite the ask with wanting to have it be um, like a lot of different moods all at once and I think you guys did a really good job of balancing um, all of them so we were kind of looking to have a sense of drama and tension throughout the piece while also feeling mysterious magical curious and surreal but at the same time avoiding any sinister tones so mm -hmm. that's like quite inaccessible yeah <laughs> but experimental at the same time mm -hmm. um, yeah <clears throat> obviously that is a lot of lot of moods and you know uh emotions to conjure up in one piece that is 30 seconds long mm -hmm. um how much does that really influence what you're doing and where you're starting um when you begin the composition um are you looking at it from more like of a well and the, the kind of second part of this question is with achieving mood and tone um do you think there's a uh, more of an importance on the instrumentation or composition or is it kind of just bound together in the same uh, yeah I, I guess like in in the case of this uh, May brief where I think it required one instrument to be really centre stage mm. 
um i think the the instrumentation does have a big impact on that i think like if it was a, a piccolo or a tuba playing the same line it would have quite a different feel to it or if it's a distorted electric guitar and i think the the tone of the clarinet was actually quite nice for it to be unusual <laughs> because yeah. it, i think it just inherently sounds quite quirky yeah the, it was almost the instrumentation was decided by by the brief yeah um because mm. it, it, it 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 lent itself perfectly to that sort of quirk without being sort of a bit playful a bit curious a bit strange um, i guess yeah if there's like loads of instruments in <coughs> needed in the composition then each one sort of it, it has slightly less importance because it's part of part of a bigger thing and i guess yeah for the for the sort of overall tone um I think for me, there's quite like a lot of music out there at the moment that, that I think was like really inspiring that we've been listening to from, mm. uh, we were saying we the Colin, the Colin Stetson stuff's been mentioned a few times. There's um, Labyrinth's Euphoria um, oh, collection, yeah, all of amazing. that stuff, yeah. um, which in a different way, but to our sensibility kind of has a lot of those sort of quirk, intrigue, t- treads a really delicate line. And then there's all of the... Um, I've written his name down. Was it? I never get it right. It's Cristobal Tapia de Ver, the oh, yeah. Utopia oh, yeah. and the White Lotus stuff. Oh, the White so Lotus, good. so yeah. good. I absolutely love that. Yeah. And so there's a bit of that, like a lot of those things that we're listening to. Mm. We're always trying to find things that like really catch our ear and interesting and quirky. And um, I think recently there's just been some really bold uses of stuff. So that that um, yeah, from the Colin Stetson being literally one instrument, the um, Utopia stuff is quirky as hell um and then we were like right what can we do in a way that is simple but like treads that line because although they were quite that's quite a broad range of music yeah it still it felt like a lot of it sits in that sort of yeah. curiosity place yeah. um and but then sort of translating when, those across on all the pitches we did when we landed on there's sort of quite a strong melody throughout them mm. and i think we that that was the main thing that we worked on first really after picking the instrumentation was try and nail that melody where it has intrigue and quirk but it's not dark yeah. or sinister in any way could you almost have like a sort of light horror moment in the second room where mm. he's being chased out of um the room and we actually did have uh kind of we went through a, a one or two versions of this just to um make it less sinister uh, where where we originally started um again it was kind of the tone of the i remember you guys sort of just toning down the high frequencies of the uh, clarinet in that section was there anything else you you can remember you changed about that i don't think anything compositionally really changed i think, I um, think that there was a low oh there was like, a low winding like, yeah. up sort of tone in that section that we ended up getting rid of um, yeah. and we kept the there was like a yeah a winding up cello pitch yeah that we did keep in which but, but i think when when having such stripped instrumentation it meant we could add in stuff like that that mm. because the overall tone stayed flat then it meant that you could really push the i mean that is a a distorted cello just going and it's mm. super scratchy like in a different application it's pretty dark mm. but because of the overall way that it was used then it, it, you can be quite pushy when 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 things are so stripped back yeah and yeah i guess like we were saying if if that melody was being played, like the main melody on the piece, if it was just being played on a trombone or something like that by itself, it would actually be quite jokey. Yeah, kind of comical. It's quite a light <laughs> feeling thing, yeah. but then the addition of some of those 
darker cello bends and um, unusual things sort of tone it they tone it right down to keep it in that middle ground where it's it's not quite joking it's not sinister yeah was most of it live recording <clears throat> then i don't think there was mm. really was there any samples or anything used? i think there was a, a timpani yeah a timpani but apart from that there's like a little yeah, unfortunately we guitar. don't have the space for a timpani no <laughs> <laughs> or a chromatic set of oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is that something you kind of aim to try not to use too much do you prefer using live recording um in your work i think it, it varies so much on on what we're making i think this piece yeah. kind of lent itself to being live instrumentation and um i think with live instrumentation in in this sense we could be a lot more creative mm. um programming something that's like yeah would i mean yeah I, i'm I not know I'm when not, to start yeah, finding that start with like delays and a tick and then i'm like oh where are you yeah. and so actually you can yeah the, the nuance that you can put in where it owns something that's played it can be a lot more expressive uh, but also can get a bit lost in like really heavy arrangements mm. um, but so, if someone yeah. wants us to make a drum and bass track then we're probably not going to record it all no. right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you make uh, listening to music and kind of what's what's happening in TV shows and film a part of your process do you, or are you kind of just consuming that as like an average person would or are you seeking it out purposely I think for me I've definitely lost the objectivity of a of a listener i kind of crave <laughs> the joy of someone that like avidly listens to music as that like, i i do hate I the do, way i yeah. listen to playlists sometimes where i'll just be like 20 seconds skip 20 seconds skip 20 <laughs> seconds skip like, like, i quite like that one but i'm like looking for something yeah <laughs> but you do know when you find it and we mm. but we, we 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 are yeah we're we listen to anything and everything and um, anything that I can have inspiration from I've just got notes everywhere on my phone little clips recordings things just stuff being like oh this this there's inspiration can come from anywhere yeah. um, but it's definitely I use music to find inspiration rather than to listen to music mm. definitely yeah mad. and even like if you're watching TV or a film or something like that often shazamming things to find out what <laughs> yeah. it is or oh, yeah, I feel like we're all there. Of, I was going to say yeah. 30 seconds in on 30 minutes in on this film is. I'm not allowed to listen to cut music in the, on car or like podcasts with music or anything like that in car journeys anymore mm. because I'm often driving and then my partner is like if you ask me to write a note for <laughs> <laughs> more fucking time I have the same thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I think um, I'm just like text me that track. Text me what is it? Te text me. <laughs> Could you just make a note? Just, He's like, just I'm not your PA. <laughs> yeah. right. I think part of being in like doing lots of music for advertising, where we're getting in briefs all the time, uh, in all different genres as well, is that we we get presented with lots of music that there's no way we would have come across otherwise. Mm, yeah. Like some of the reference yeah. tracks for for the things and <clears throat> where they lead on to if you go on Spotify and you like similar artists or radio plays of, of that, um we just come across such a huge breadth of music that we we never would have come across otherwise. Yeah. Do you still have kind of like a preference though of like obviously um to kind of work in music professionally you have to listen to everything and enjoy it but do you like have a preferred genre or uh, style of music that you kind of connect with more than others or has that I, I think of... it's mood related for me depending on what what mood I'm in what I put on but I I love letting other people choose music <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I'm coming to the realization that like maybe my favorite 
type of music is just a an absolute mishmash of of everything um where it yeah where it's sampled a bunch of strings and then it's put in like a like a, i don't know a house beat and then chopped it across and big tempo moves and i don't know it's not really it's kind of just using things to be quite creative um like like i was saying like the um utopia stuff and like the like I, I, when i start listening to some of that real hybrid cinema crossover mm. that's where i'm starting to get oh i'm like okay you've you've done everything i understand from the years that we spent making dance music you've used full frequency range you're coming in with like massive subs yeah. but it's still like hugely cinematic and the depth and the space and it seems you can get bigger than we currently have available in in pop music. There's, I think we we both get really space. excited when we hear something and we're like, I don't think I can make that. Yeah. I don't know how it's made. <laughs> and then we try and make it. And then <laughs> we're just sort of like trying to figure out what they've done. And yeah, it yeah. And that's it's, what's really inspiring when you, when you hear something you're like, I don't know yeah, how, how you've done that. that. Yeah. It's incredible how our taste of music can be different. Our opinions and everything can be different, but absolutely always if one of us walks in and goes what is this the other one's mm -hmm. like oh my god that's yeah. amazing that's always exactly consistent mm -hmm. like, yeah. yeah did you have like um as well just go back to the studio a little bit are there like pieces of gear or anything that you kind of your go-to's or um also compositionally is there like a instrument that you gravitate to more than anything else to start with yeah, I think gear-wise, we're, we're just sort of selling everything. Yeah, we've, we, 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 just, we, we were those people that had just everything. We were just hoarding gear. And then now I just want nothing. Mm -hmm. right. Pro like, Tools. Yeah. That's about yeah. it. Yeah, Pro Tools could not crash. Then, yeah, that would be great. Oh, that oh, would yeah. be the dream. Yeah. <laughs> we work in Pro Tools, which is quite different, I guess, from a lot of people. They don't, mm. seemingly don't mm. compose in Pro Tools. A lot of people would use other things, which gives us a slightly frustrated perspective. Um, <laughs> a different approach. Oh, sorry, a different, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Good for working to picture, though. Yeah. <laughs> we pretty much always start on on keys. I don't know, that's not even true, because one of my favourite spots that we did is me, there's a voice note of me just singing in pretty much the thing. Mm. I was just sort of sang in a vocal line and then just roughly gave the idea of where the chord should move in a beat because you can you can give quite a lot of expression in a voice note. I really like um, the beginning of that sentence. My favourite thing we ever did is me. <laughs> yeah. No more needed. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sounded bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's a great idea. It's a good idea. I'll play you the idea. So I think it's really cool. Um, did it end up <laughs> being the voice note or did you re-record it? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no. yeah we, we read it. Yeah, oh, oh, okay. yeah. oh, it's like... Because that would have been it, No, it's not at all. All the voice note yeah right. it's no it's it, like i guess that the yeah i see i see with the confusion there. Mm -hmm. no uh as in like the idea just got thrown in right. it, very roughly as as sort of something like this and then you make it in yeah 50 instruments okay cool yeah i, I think that, that that's actually something that we we've been talking about recently that we want to do more of though is sing something in like because it's so easy to get a melody or a feel or an overall thing instantly when you just like oh it should be something like da 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 whilst if you load up you have to load up Pro Tools get an instrument there you might go to a piano you're like oh no it's not quite the right sound and you end up spending 
10 minutes going through different synth presets to try and find something that feels <laughs> about right. Yeah. You know, there like, is actually, something about physically playing. Inspiration especially on, is, is dwindling. Yeah, yeah. As you're <laughs> There's something about physically playing like keys or whether it's the process of opening a door and hitting record. It's probably that we're not that, that good like, at keys as thwart, well. Yeah, like thwarts. <laughs> it probably is, yeah. <laughs> the thwarts like that. Yeah, it's just definitely that, isn't it? Get be better at piano. <laughs> it's just the immediacy of it, isn't yeah. it? That yeah. you can literally be like, I've had this idea, and you're put, you're then yeah. vocalizing it straight away, and it's just like it's immediately down. Mm. You can then refer back to it. You've got it mm. somewhere. And I think than... for us, it's completely not what it is. Whereas if I start playing a piano on a synth, I'm like, well, well maybe I could keep that sound. Yeah. Whereas if it's on my voice, I'm like, I can't use this. this yeah, is yeah. Not Where's usable. it going? It is entirely a demo. <clears throat> it all needs replacing. Everything is like malleable. Whereas as soon as you record something in, then you're like, well, is it that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you find though when you do that, because um, obviously you can be quite expressive with your voice in what vowel sounds you're using or what kind of, you know, how much power you're giving your voice do you find that actually usually ends up informing or being kind of similar to what you end up moving it to or definitely initially i think you try and sort of map Mm. what the voice was doing um but where it ends up yeah it it normally ends up miles away but it is really interesting to go back after you've spent a few hours working on it and listen to it and there's always something in the first thing that you did Mm. that you've missed and it's n- normally quite an important thing or quite an important move or a dynamic shift or like a little emotive step which you expressed in one phase but mm. then lost in translation. Then you go back and you're like, oh, we need to sort of re And it's quite useful having it as a snapshot in time being like, that was my initial idea. Yeah. Um, which you don't have if you go straight into Pro Tools and, and yeah. put something in and, and then you keep changing it. You, you don't have that very first thing you put in as a reference because yeah. it's been lost in in the process are you quite on that with like i've spoken to a few composers that for me as just like like when i make stuff at home i'm kind of messing with the session and just saving the session did you do the whole organizational thing of like this was this version that we made and then we've changed these things about it so that you have mm. that, those to go back to or not not really but we do it automatically backs up every minute so if you really break an idea, you can go back and be like, find anything. Half an hour ago, I think it was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just forget that never happened. Yeah. Going to go back to there. Yeah, if we can get the glimmer that was there half an hour ago, yeah. we'll be on track. Normally, we're because we change it so much that we and we're cycling through so quickly that we we just sort of wait until we settle on the thing that we like and mm. we keep that and we forget about everything else. Obviously, you're saying you can't watch. TV shows and films now, but was there anything that you kind of, when you were a lot younger, I guess, like what was the first kind of film score that made you notice the music or kind of think about how the sound works with the film? For me, it was like probably, and it's not, it's not super early because I, all my early memories of like musicals and I just don't, I hate musicals. You on do. the whole no, just like old school musicals can't stand it yeah just just never liked them i don't i think and yet then, they're all your childhood yeah. memories yeah. <laughs> yeah. and we, we might be oh, doing says, a remix yeah, of one as well, no, so. yeah it says more about my childhood than anything else yeah. <laughs> no, but i think it was probably uh like moulin rouge i know it is a musical but like, i guess when things are starting to get morphed out of a classical yeah. translation um I, I just went and saw the elvis film yeah. uh, last week and i just thought that was wicked the way that they'd sort of managed to keep it so true but then it's that it's that juxtaposition 
of something that's just bigger than it is and it's more emotive and it's I mean it's Baz Luhrmann again so that kind of yeah 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 that kind of thing's really cool for me do you compose classical music at all or kind of still have an interest in that from your kind of early background yeah I don't don't tend to compose any classical music at all really like I've started we've started doing more and more and more we actually just recently had our first sort of full-scale string session in Studio 2 Abbey Road, which was pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, um, so exciting. Yeah. Um, baffling. Just a, an insanely different experience to me and Joe in Finsbury Park being, being <laughs> down there. Um, but, but fantastic as well. Um, and so that sort of definitely spurred us on a bit. And I think given us the, I guess, the, the confidence, the confidence yeah. of being like, oh, we translated this from inception to a 40p string section and that's mm. that's possible and I guess it takes it takes a bit of I guess learning and just and it's it's exciting the knowledge that that is another thing in the arsenal now that we can lean on if we need to yeah when you're composing like do you really think about music theory much or is it sort of just do you ever kind of rely on it or refer to it or is it just kind of part of you whilst you're composing i think we do a bit um i think like we had a brief yesterday where we're playing around we're like okay well it definitely needs to be in a major key and right. you know we gravitate towards a minor thing initially and we're like okay well we've ruled out half of that and definitely needs to be major we'll be talking quite loosely but i don't think we, we're never going to specifics we're not really talking about like intervals and yeah, like we're not intricacies. we're not getting stuck into modes and mm-hmm. and picking things too far apart. I I guess like I quite like to stay out of it. Um, I like to like not think about anything because yeah. um, it means that then you're a bit more free, or especially from my perspective, I, it, as soon as I start sort of like having to figure it out, move and and realize what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. It just slows the process down. So I'm like, I'm kind of happy to leave deliberate mistakes in. There are points where I'm like, Joe's like, you know, that bass isn't playing the right thing and this isn't. And I'm like, yeah, 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 cool. Let's just like get over it and like get the idea down and like fix that later yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in the sort of creation phase, it's definitely like, let's mm. ignore it. I think it, yeah, yeah, it's definitely... Get the ideas yeah. down wherever it is. It, it's useful having the ability to kind of know what is technically correct or be able to talk about it with you know if we're working with other musicians and you can talk about what the chords are but um i don't think you know neither is a exceptionally good at music theory to be talking about yeah i think you kind of have to there there are times obviously you can come from an approach but it's just not the way we work yeah we 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 work from sonic yeah making sound and then from from that way yeah Mm. Have you worked on projects where you've kind of had almost like an excessive amount of time, like maybe more time than you'd usually have? And how did you feel about that? Do you kind of feel like, I don't know, we've spoken to composers before where actually, although it's like a bit of a panic having less time, you kind of make decisions like that a lot quicker and easier and you don't really give them, you know, you don't have the time to give, uh, to overanalyze things like that. Whereas maybe when you have longer amount of time you start to kind of get into yeah second guess yourself yeah i think that's that's where we find another time having two people really useful so on this project that we went to abbey road on i think we we started that in december and we probably wrote um 
three different ideas for that and maybe it was around like March time that the one was chosen and then we spent another couple of months developing that obviously not every day but you know yeah it's always been quite a long time scale project um and so there's been times where I've taken the lead and been times where Johnny's taken the lead and I think being able to have that perspective where you know one person can work for six weeks on it makes some change and the other person hasn't heard any of that change mm. then they have that objectivity of it it kind of means that you don't just completely go snow blind on it and lose all perspective because yeah. i think that would be the problem if if there's just one person working on the same thing for so long then you're like well i i don't know anymore yeah. it sounds like <laughs> you sounds like me. the same thing that i had a few months ago but slightly different um so i think in that sense it's okay uh like we're i don't mind it but it's also quite nice to get things done and out the way and yeah. move on to the next one as well. There is a lot to be said for the sort of pressure of just that like you don't really have a choice so you have to start committing decisions. Although now I think like an excessive amount of time is probably like three days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, you don't need it this evening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah, Excellent. wicked. I was like, they said a week. <laughs> um, but normally then in that case, we probably would wait a few days because we'll have other yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think, yes, as we... we I think from our point of view, the, the sort of writing and the creation is always around the, around the same time. Mm. Um, and then what we really like to get stuck in on the production, really working things up, and you can really get things, I don't know, pretty pretty cool um, if we can have a bit more time. So it's really nice to be able to hand things in that are a bit more polished because yeah. like that's the only frustration from our side, really, is that you're handing in something that you know is somewhat subpar. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't necessarily change... It just means you've managed to make it sound better. <laughs> <laughs> but is it better? Yeah, it's just, it just different. different? Yeah. <laughs> you've probably just removed all of the things that were great. Yeah, yeah. You've made anything really bold, actually. Yeah, you just like bold. muted yeah. all of the elements. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, yeah, there's definitely something for just having such a tight time frame on it and, and forcing yourself to get it done. And, and what you make in that moment is what it is. And there's something quite beautiful about just committing it. That's what it is. It's now live, it's on TV, and you move on to the next one. And there was a thing I read about, um, was like in creative tasks, if you give someone um, if you give someone the same task and then someone else, there's two people, yeah, there's two people, <laughs> they've both got the same task. But you give one of them five minutes to play Minesweep and then five minutes to do task and the other person ten minutes. Um, the person that plays Minesweep for the first five minutes um, is something like 80% more creative than the other person. Um, they need to be told to task at the beginning, but so it mm -hmm. sort of like seeps in a bit. But uh, yeah, so procrastination it's had time to like permeate a bit. Yeah, procrastination or, or the the thought of that can can help. And so I think actually in the cases that we were saying where if we do have a longer period of time, often it will come in. We'll have a chat about it, but we won't do it then. Yeah, and then actually you probably that has had impact, although you don't know it has. You've and yeah, started you, you, a few you might days be watching later. TV and then you're like, oh, I heard this thing, and that's a a perfect yeah. thing for this you've got more yeah. things to bring yeah. in mm. so by the time you get there you've got a sort of slightly better way to express the things that you mean you've got a few references you've got a have you tried loading up Minesweep before you uh, start? No. Haven't. We really no. enjoy that Minesweeper has come into this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's going to be furious. I'm just going to be like, sorry, Joe, I'm in my allotted Minesweep time. <laughs> well, that's all we've got time for on this latest episode, but a huge thank you to Lankin Tank for joining us. 
please join us again next time when we speak to more fascinating guests about composing music to some of your favorite programs commercials and films you can find us wherever you listen to your podcast so please make sure you subscribe and give us a little review if you like what you hear adios goodbye (laughs) 